Welcome to Heads Up on Money, the heads up you need to make better financial choices. Hello and welcome to episode one of Heads Up on Money. Today's episode is the five mistakes made by money novices. Okay, so a brief heads up of what I'll be covering in this episode. We're going to talk about the five mistakes that people typically make before they get started on their journey to financial well-being. Now, I'm being very selective with my words there. It's not about your journey towards monetary gain or wealth building in the traditional sense of pounds and pence and assets and liabilities. It's about the steps you typically take on the journey to financial independence or financial happiness and whatever that looks like to you. Now it's great that you've all got the ambition to get on that journey right now and the fact that you're listening to this podcast already puts you ahead of the crowd but hopefully these tips will give you just a bit of context as to some of the potential pitfalls and some of the hazards that you may encounter along the way that you should be wary of now before you begin on that journey. And if you're a little bit further along the road and have already embarked on your financial plan, then there may be a few things in here that will give you just a bit of a pointer as to things you should maybe look to address as a matter of priority. So the first mistake I commonly see is planning blind. And what I mean by that is a common problem that I see amongst nearly every type of client I work with be it younger people in their wealth journey and starting to build up some savings and making some plans for the future, or if it's people who are typically in later life transitioning into the kind of decumulation stages of their life, so retirement, drawing upon some of the the money and the savings they've worked hard to accrue over their careers. And what this really relates to is people not having a solid plan in place. So they might think they're well on their way to meeting their money objectives or their life goals. They're perhaps saving a good proportion of their income each month. They've got their expenditure under control. They've got good debts rather than bad debts. They're tying away their money in long-term assets that grow over time and they're beating inflation and all the great stuff that would be fundamental to any solid financial plan. But taking a step back they've no idea what the hell they're doing it for. And I see this so often. It's it's common perhaps in, in retirees, for example. People are not drawing enough of their pensions down and enjoying life as much as they should because they're hesitant about running out of money. And in my career, I have never seen one client run out of money, but I've seen more than I'd like to say dying with too much money. So the point here is is not, I'm saying, to be frivolous with your, your assets and go on um, crazy holidays every year. It's all about being sensible, both in the now and in the future. But the point is, you really need to take a step back and say, what am I doing this for? And what am I working towards with this financial plan? So it's asking yourself things like, if you look at one of your investment accounts, say, or a bank account, and... Do you have an actual objective as to what those funds are going to be used for? Or are you just blindly throwing £300 a month into a savings account in the hope that that will give you a bit of future flexibility? 
well, I would be devil's advocate there and say, how do you know £300 is enough to meet that objective? Or is £300 too much? And are you living hand to mouth every month and you could actually afford to be enjoying yourself a bit more now? Well, without a solid, tangible objective on the other side, I would really question how valid a plan it is. And this really is what separates the money nerds from the the wannabes. It's it's having a solid objective in place, knowing exactly what you're working towards for the future. Because if you're not doing that, then you are just pursuing a blind plan. And if you're working with any financial professionals, financial planners, you really should be questioning them as to what measure have they got on your overall financial plan. Because if, if you're not working towards something, then how can you be certain the things you have in place are effective and, and necessary? And that is really why in the in the kind of financial advice and financial services industry, there's a bit of a bad reputation that advisors will just sell you a product. And, and that does carry on in the industry, unfortunately. But if you've got a good financial planner beside you, the, the start point really should be looking at the end point and then fitting in the infrastructure around that. So... Going back to a case example, I want my children to be able to spend £50,000 on a flat once they finish university. That's the end point, and then you start looking at the framework to put that in place. Okay, so mistake number two is not having a good measure on the fees you are paying. Now, this is a this is a big one, and I guess it's more applicable to those people who may have some more sophisticated savings accounts um, or perhaps some investments held with certain providers. You may have investments you have with a financial professional. Whatever it might be and whatever stage you're at, get a good grasp of what exactly you are paying and what you're getting for in return. And the reason for that is, is obvious because over time fees matter and financial planning the, the, the day in, day out as to what I do for a job is looking at vast timescales and really mapping out the entirety of someone's life. And over time, these things really do add up. And a secret that I'm going to divulge and cover it in more detail in a, in a later podcast is that fees are more important than the underlying assets you're invested in. And what I mean by that is people tend to really preoccupy themselves with which company should I be investing in? And they become totally immersed in selecting individual companies and gambling in the stock market. All of these things we'll cover in a later podcast. But really what you need to be looking at most importantly, over time, fees add up and fees really matter. So I'm not saying that fees are a bad thing because you get what you pay for often in life. But there is a lot out there in the financial services landscape where you're paying higher fees than you perhaps need to be or paying fees that you shouldn't be paying. So getting a grasp of these can really add up and it can be as simple as switching your stocks and shares ISA to a different investment platform or a different advisor. And over time, you know, you're you're not going to see massive savings overnight, admittedly, but when you're talking about timeframes of of 10, 15, 20, 30, even 40 years as you're planning far into retirement if you're younger on your journey, these things make a huge, huge difference. And 
can be that difference between meeting your objective under point one or not. So it can be things like retiring at 50 and doing what you want with your spare time at 50 rather than at 60. And that really seems quite a drastic scenario, but fees can really add up. So point number two is just get a grasp of what you're paying before you pay for it. Next up on the list, number three, is leaving it until tomorrow. That's a common thing I do see. And I understand why, as I mentioned in the the podcast trailer, I get it. Financial matters and money management and personal finances, there are far more exciting topics out there. But when it comes to your financial plan and your, your financial life plan for the future, time is your greatest ally. And it goes back to what I said in the previous point. It's not about the underlying assets you're invested in. It's really about getting a measure of your costs. The longer you leave it, the harder it's going to be. And, you know, I do speak to people, they're they're nearing retirement or the later stages of their careers, and they've put very few things in place. And we can make a plan. But it makes it a lot harder when you've got 10 years to plan for versus someone who's in their mid-20s and they've got 30, 40 years worth of retirement um, planning ahead of them. And when you've got time on your side, you can make smaller incremental changes to your situation now. The key things are, it's not something for tomorrow, it's something for today. And I appreciate it can be difficult at times to get started on that journey, but there really is, you know, a few steps you can take that doesn't take too much time and it really can reward you over the medium to longer term. Number four is a simple one and the mistake that many people tend to make is they judge how they're doing on their financial plan by measuring it against their peers. You need to look at your own situation and your own financial plan and objectives. That's the only way you can measure how successful you're doing with your personal finances and I've had clients previously um, who may be earning a good level of income but their expenditure is also exorbitant and they're not saving as much as they could each month they've got far too unrealistic retirement objectives and as a result their financial plan is 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 falling apart and on the flip side you could have a different individual a different couple typically not a high earner but yet they've got a good grasp of their expenditure they're saving a good amount each month they're enjoying life now. They're also safe in the knowledge that they're going to enjoy life tomorrow. They've got adequate protections in place. So if anything was ever to happen to either of them, then they're protected. And they've got enough left over for for spending money and, and enjoying life, which is, is the most important thing. Now, they may be earning a lot less than couple number one, but which couple is doing better with their overall financial plan? So that's the key don't measure your success by that of your peers. Last but not least, the fifth mistake that I commonly see is starting at the wrong end of the planning priority list. And what I'm really alluding to here is people who start dabbling in stocks and shares and they save a lot of their money into these strategies every month and they're convinced they're doing well with their personal finances because surely I'm investing in in stocks and shares and the companies of the world and that's got to be better than holding money in a bank account. That is a discussion point we'll come back to in a future podcast but the point I'm trying to make here is they don't have some of the solid foundations in place underpinning all this. They've started at the 
wrong end of the, the the successful financial life plan strategy that I put in place with my clients. And there's things ahead of this that should take way, way, way more importance at that stage of the journey. And the typical things I'm alluding to here, which we'll cover in future episodes, is things like a financial protection plan in place. Do they have basically a good solid foundation so that if the proverbial does hit the fan you're going to be okay and your family are going to be okay and do they have an adequate rainy day fund behind them so that if the roof comes in one night you're also are going to be okay and you don't need to sell down a higher risk portfolio that may have dropped overnight because markets are very volatile so the point is just really taking a step back again and make sure you've you're building this up and your plan is being built in increments and having the foundations in place is the most important thing rather than jumping in at the deep end and dabbling with with stocks and shares which in itself is a a fool's errand as we'll come back to in a later episode and there you have it those were the five classic mistakes made by money novices and i'd like to think now you'll start to reflect on some of these points and really adapt these into your own financial plans. So as a recap, the five things to avoid is don't plan blind. Make sure you have a measure of the fees you are paying. Don't put off tomorrow what can be done today. Don't measure your own success and the adequacy of your own financial plan by that of your peers. And make sure you jump in at the right end of the planning hierarchy don't get ahead of yourself. Okay, before we finish up, it's time for the heads up silly question of the week. And this one is, if my bank goes bust, what happens to my money? Okay, I get it. This is not an everyday occurrence, but it has happened in the past. If we go back to 2007, 2008 and Northern Rock and scenes of savers queuing up on the high street, frantically trying to get money out of their deposit accounts. So the good news is it's an easy answer. The bad news is I'm going to have to rely on financial acronyms. I promise I'm not going to use that very irritating sound effect every time we talk about a financial acronym, but... I really want to try and avoid them where possible in the podcast, but this one is the FSCS, the Financial Services Compensation Scheme is what that stands for. And what this basically means is if your bank goes bust, the UK government effectively will cover you for balances up to £85,000 per person per bank. So if you had £90,000 in a bank account, nice problem to have I I realise then if that bank went bust the government would only cover you up to £85,000 and that's why it's important to monitor the amounts you hold with with your banks to make sure you're not exceeding those levels now if you are a couple and it's a joint account then it's two times £85,000 and if you do have a balance above this Sometimes that might happen for a number of reasons. It can be things like the settlement of a divorce or temporary sale of a home. There are some rules which allow you to maintain a temporary high balance, as it's called. But the simple short version is 
keep your balances below that £85,000 level per person. If you go above that, question number one should be, are you holding too much in cash as an asset? And if you should be holding that much cash because that's part of your wider financial plan, then it's just making sure you're not holding too much with one bank. And the last point I'll make on that is the amount is covered per banking license, which broadly means you need to be careful to make sure if you've got a couple of banks that they're not owned by the same overall banking group. And this can be a bit of a minefield. So I'll include a link in the podcast notes, which basically allows you to check who owns who in banking and make sure your banks aren't related. And there you have it. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's been not too overwhelming. I hope you've taken a lot of encouragement and a few hints and tips to take into your own lives from this. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've got any kind of value from this podcast, please leave us a review. And if you'd like to shout out any dumb questions of the week for future episodes, please do so. Thank you all so much and I'll see you next time.